This is David Tarkington, lead pastor at First Family. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For more information about our church, go to firstfam.org or check out my blog at davidtarkington.com. The book of Acts, chapter number one. New Testament book of Acts, the first chapter. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you this morning. As Pastor Dave mentioned, uh, my name is Drace, which is short for Andres uh, Lavanderos. And uh, I appreciate Pastor David Tarkenton giving me the opportunity to preach this morning. Several years ago, my wife and I were going through a very hard season, a dark season in life. And I was very uh, discouraged. My wife was very discouraged. And Pastor David Tarkenton uh, invited me to lunch. And I remember distinctly him saying, uh, if uh, they had the funds, he would hire me on staff to serve the Lord. And I remember that meant so much to me because I was feeling uh, of very little value. And uh, he really encouraged me and, and reminded me that I'm valuable in him. Uh, I'm married to Jennifer. I think she's in here somewhere. If you're in here, babe, I know you're shy. I'm gonna go ahead and raise a hand or a finger. Are you skipping church? All right, there you are, babe. Hey, uh, now that I embarrassed you, uh, one of our children is wrecking havoc in the nursery. Can you uh, go and resolve that issue? All right, there you go. I got four kids. My son is Jace, and then I got three girls, uh, Gianna, Jadalyn, and Jaylee. I think Jaylee is the one causing trouble. All right, book of Acts chapter number one. Uh, it's a blessing. I love preaching. You know, it's always a balance uh, doing this three times. I get really emotionally attached to my text and, uh, you know, preaching three times. I'm, I'm trying to drink water to keep my voice good, but I don't want to drink too much water because then I'm going to have to break in the middle of the sermon. I'm trying to balance. Let's begin reading in verse number one. Acts, the first chapter, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now we had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven.
to heaven. I've been teaching my son, Jace, a little baseball. And the other day, I was throwing some, some baseballs. And uh, I've taught him the right technique. I've taught him you plant your back foot. We call it squish the spider. The ball comes, you got to turn and squish the spider and generate that power off your back leg and uh, your hips and the follow through with your arms. The other day I was throwing baseballs at him and he kept missing, swinging a miss. He was getting frustrated. So he, uh, he changed face. I think he went Iron Man. He got real serious. And, and he decided that if he just swung hard, if he just got angry and swung hard, then he would hit the ball and hit a home run if he was just angry enough. And I kept throwing the ball, of course, and he kept missing. And I told him, I said, Jace, unless you do it the right way, with the right technique, you'll never hit a home run. My fear this morning and my burden this morning from this passage is that the local church, particularly here in our context and in the West, in America, we, we do a lot of things with a lot of energy and a lot of force. But if we don't do it the right way, if we don't do it God's way, then, then we're going to really waste a lot of energies. And I'm here this morning with a big burden. Uh, I, I've often told Pastor Tarkenton that I, I'm a missionary at heart, just bounded to America right now. Today as we speak, as I stand here and as you sit there, a couple thoughts. First of all, uh, where we're at was the uttermost parts of the world. When Jesus gave this message, Jacksonville, Florida was absolutely the uttermost parts of the world. They didn't even know this continent existed. And they took the gospel all around the world because they, they took serious what Jesus told them, particularly here in this chapter. Number two, as, we, as I stand and you sit, there's another great truth. For, and, and the truth is this, three billion people around the world today, three billion have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. I told the 8 o'clock this morning, uh, a little bit of a more seasoned crowd, I said many of you in here probably have heard the gospel hundreds of times. I told the 915, a little bit younger crowd, probably a little more rebellious at heart, I told the 915, I said, listen, some of you, uh, most of you, all of you have heard it tens of times in your life. And there's probably a good mix in here. But there's 3 billion people around the world that have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And I think if we're not careful, we do church life and church service as if that's not true, as if that doesn't exist. And I think the blueprint and the breakdown is found here in Acts chapter number 1. Luke, he, he, this, is, this is Luke's the writer. This is basically part 2 of the gospel of Luke. If you were to take Luke in the book of Acts, it makes up a third of the New Testament. Luke covers 30 years of church history. He writes, he pens in his classical Greek to, to put uh, church history on the, on the bookshelf for the local church. Luke followed Paul in many of his missionary trips. Uh, Paul was this great missionary that did take the gospel around the world. And Luke was this doctor of sorts. And, and they were paired together. Paul loved Luke and Luke loved Paul. Paul died and Luke was there with them to the very end. Jesus here, I want you to know this, this really sets up our context. Jesus here is talking to the disciples predominantly for the fifth time after his resurrection. 
Let, let, me, let, me, let me just give you a little insight and background just quickly. Jesus was Jewish. You, you might know that. Uh, Jesus was Jewish. And uh, in the Jewish model of discipleship, a Jewish rabbi would call men to enter an apprenticeship under the Jewish rabbi. If you were under an apprenticeship, that was far different than seminary. If you were under apprenticeship under a Jewish rabbi, you would literally follow the rabbi, live with the rabbi, travel with the rabbi, eat with the rabbi, do ministry with the rabbi, and your job as an apprentice under the rabbi was to become just like the rabbi. Remember in Acts chapter 4 when they uh, grabbed Peter and John and went to throw them in prison? Remember what the officials said in Acts chapter 4? Uh, the Bible says that, hey, these men are uneducated. They don't look like they've been in seminary, but it does appear like they've been with Jesus. That was Jesus' model of discipleship. Jesus strategically discipled them. The first four months, he told the boys, listen, just come and see. Just come and check it out. That'd be the equivalent of coming to church. The next ten months, he told the disciples, come and follow. That is, become a church member, if you will. A little more responsibility. But then for the last 20 months, Jesus gave them more and more responsibility, teaching and preaching, casting out demons and doing the work of the ministry, the work expanding the kingdom of God on earth. I want, you to, I want you to really sense this. I want you to get the ethos of this. The disciples went through this emotional roller coaster, right? Because when Jesus first calls them, and he begins to say things like he's the son of God, the king of kings, the Messiah, the savior. There, there was this conflict in the disciples because uh, watching Jesus, they've never seen a human being like that. He, he's the most attractive human being to ever walk planet earth. But yet we know very little what he looks like physically. But he was incredibly good. He was incredibly kind. He was incredibly joyful. He was incredibly loving. He was incredibly patient. But he was incredibly powerful. They've never seen a human like that. But at the same time, he was human. He had two legs and two arms and a couple of eyes and a couple of ears. So there was this struggle with, I've never seen a human like that, but he is human. Then finally, maybe trekking through, uh, getting to three years, the disciples finally, some of them at least, begin to say, maybe he is the Son of God. Maybe he is the Savior. And then Jesus drops this bomb on them. I'm dying. You say, What? We're just now believing you. We want you to stay and you're dying. He goes to the cross. The Bible says, as you may know, the disciples scatter. They get depressed. They get discouraged. They get scared and they scatter. Then Jesus raises from the dead. Uh, not just on Easter, but he's still alive. He, he rose from the dead and he comes back and he shows up. The disciples at first don't believe it's him and they say he's back. And for 40 days, they're, they're on this emotional high again saying, he's back. We thought we lost him. He's here. And they're happy. And then in Acts chapter 1, he leaves them again. Did you know this? After he resurrected, Jesus met with the disciples, at least a portion of them, five times that the scriptures record. The first time in Luke 24, you know what he tells them? Take the gospel message around the world. The second time in Mark 16, you know what he tells them? Go ye and all to the world. The third time he meets with them, you know what he tells them? Feed my sheep. The fourth time he meets with them, Matthew 28, you know what he tells them? Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. The fifth time is right here in Acts chapter 1. Five times he meets with disciples. It's the same lyrics. The song tune's a little bit different every time, but it's the same lyrics. And the lyrics is, take the gospel around the world. The disciples did that. And 1,900 years later, 
the church is still struggling to do it again. I want to submit to you this morning, I think we become really good at gazing into heaven, but really bad at the Great Commission. When, when, when the disciples, verse 9, after Jesus ascends, the disciples just kind of get caught staring. And the angels look down. If I could paraphrase, they say, what are you fellas looking at? They give two great truths. He's coming back. And number two, he's told you what to do. We must return to the mission of the church. Let me give you a couple thoughts here quickly this morning. Number one, I want you, let's look together at Jesus' words. Why we must take the Great Commission seriously because of Jesus' words. Do you know this? You probably do. Jesus said everything He meant, and He meant everything He said. Look with me just next door neighbor to the left. The last verse in the Gospel of John, the 25th verse, look what it says there. It says, and there are also many things that Jesus did if they were written one by one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written in. You know what John says? John says, man, there's a whole lot of stuff that Jesus did and taught that we didn't even record because if we recorded everything, there wouldn't be enough room on the cosmos to get all the books together of everything that Jesus did. So you know what that means? God recorded exactly what he wanted for us in the word of God. And he left out what he wanted to leave out. There's a couple words. Let me take you through it this morning very quickly and very cautiously. There's a couple words that I think bring this passage to life. First of all, number one, it's the word infallible proof. In verse three, shows up to him for the fifth time. And he says, I presented myself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. He shows up to the boys and he says, listen, here's the scars. This is evidence that I rose from the grave, that I'm alive and well. The, the, the word infallible proof is the word uh, tekmerion, which simply means evidence, proof, convincing proof. He told the disciples, the gospel is good. It's guaranteed. I rose from the grave and you can't defeat this truth. You see, 2,000 years later, they still haven't found the body of Jesus because he's currently at the right hand of the Father. What about this incredible book called the Bible? Uh, a couple months ago, the teenagers where I teach high school, uh, they started asking me about, you know, President Donald Trump getting elected. And they started asking me about Russia. I said, why? What's all this about Russia and Russia? Here's what I told them. I said, listen, it's no surprise that Russia's on the news. I said, because thousands of years ago, God wrote in a book that in the end times, Russia would be a key player. Thousands of years ago. This book is infallible proof. What about, what about the proof of a changed life? A sinner who's lost in his ways, destroying his life, but gives his life to Jesus and is completely forgiven, completely made at peace with his soul and is completely changed. He's made new into a new person, not a better person, a new person. He's regenerated. They say there's some two billion Christians around the world. That's infallible proof that Jesus is alive. There's a second word. The second word is martyr. Look, look at verse 8. You're familiar. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. English, I don't, I don't want to offend nobody, but English is not particularly a great language. Spanish is marvelous. It's beautiful. 
English kind of limited. Greek is a very picturesque, very detailed language, the, the original language, Greek. In the Greek, where we get the word witness, is the Greek word martus. It's where we get our English word martyr. When Jesus is meeting here for the fifth time of the, with the disciples, and He tells them the Holy Spirit's coming, He actually says in John, it's actually good that I go away, because when I go away, I'm detecting the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come down, and, and for the first time, the Holy Spirit is going to live in you. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go, show up every now and then, but in the New Testament, for you and for me, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, it's actually a good thing that I'm leaving, because the Holy Spirit's going to come and indwell you. And what, what's the purpose? To be a witness and the word in real time, in the original language, with the disciples, Jesus said, I'm, I'm calling you to be a martus. Martus, Jesus was saying, listen, I'm so serious about the Great Commission. I'm so serious about the gospel. Here's, here's how serious I am. Look at my scars. I asked the Father if there be a plan B, but the Father said no, because he's ferocious about the Great Commission. And Jesus said, like the Father sent me, I sent you. And I don't want you to just put a cute bumper sticker on your car. I don't want you to show up at a church. I want you to know, disciples, that I want you to give your life to this thing. Uh, you may get killed and you may get murdered, but, 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 but spoiler alert. If you go to heaven, you'll be with me again. He said, Martus. He said, give your life. The, the early disciples, my friends, were unstoppable. And I think in some cases, the church today is very stoppable. Jesus said, Martus. In the early church, if you got a call to ministry, it literally meant giving your life. It meant signing your death wish. In the early church, if you got a call to ministry to publicly proclaim Jesus whom they crucified and you were to preach that he's still alive and saving people, it would literally meant that you were on the hit list to be killed. I, I preached in a seminary last year, and, 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 and I don't say this to be critical, but I do say this on authority of the God's Word. Uh, it, that, was, that was the original context of Acts chapter 1, and, and sometimes in seminary, these young fellows who are preparing and preaching, they don't, they don't talk in ministry in terms of sacrifice and persecution and counting the cost and paying the price. They talk in terms of large churches hiring them salaries and benefits and parking spaces and titles, and where's my office going to be? And Jesus said, I want you to be a martus. I want you to take this gospel all over the world, and you may die doing it. By the way, not just you may die doing it. L listen, you can only be an effective witness if you die to self. Hey, can I say this? Oh, you don't really have a choice, but listen, one, one of the main reasons we don't share the gospel is because we're embarrassed that we'll be rejected, we'll be humiliated, if you die to self, you get rid of that. You can't offend a dead person. It's already dead. Martus, give your life. Brother Bob, I, I've, I've been on pastor's church committees and pastor's teams, and sometimes we look for resumes, and in the pastor resumes, we look for executive experience on leading a church. But, but Jesus said, Martus, See, here would have been Paul's resume. Paul's resume would have been something like this. 
Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. 30 times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I was whole night and a whole day drift at sea. I traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I faced dangers in cities and in deserts and on seas. I faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but they're not believers. I've worked hard and I've worked long, and during many sleepless nights, I've been hungry, I've been thirsty, I've gone often without food, I have shivered in the cold, I've been without clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. That was Paul's resume as a missionary, as a pastor. We, we, don't, we don't have the time this morning, but what about Andrew? Killed in Greece. Peter killed in Rome. Philip killed in southern Russia. Thomas killed in southern Asia. Jude in Armenia. Bartholomew in Asia Minor. James in Syria. Simon in Egypt. James in Spain. John in Asia Minor. Matthias killed in ancient Syria. And Paul got his head cut off in a prison cell. He said Martus. There's a third word. Let me highlight quickly as we move forward. The, the, the third word is the word both. <clears throat> and I want to be careful here, but I want, you to, I want you to really capture this. So lean in a little bit if you would. In verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. Right here in the original Greek, there's, there's a Greek word called te, which is translated both. The New American Standard uh, Bible and the King James Version in particular, they pick up on the word both. And the word both would be right there. You'd be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And the word Greek word te and the English word both means even connection at the same time. So if I were to say give them both $20, it wouldn't be 10 and 10. It wouldn't be 12 and 8. It would be both of them $20. That's what they would expect from the language there. Jesus said, you're going to get this Holy Spirit, and I want you to be witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What Jesus was telling the disciples here in Acts chapter 1 for the fifth time after his resurrection, he said, I want you to take the gospel across the street and across the world both at the same time. I've been in church a very long time. My dad was a Spanish pastor, and I've been saved 23 years. I've been a pastor 12 years. And I was born into the church. And I've heard this message preached multiple times. And I've heard it preached this way. And God knows I'm not trying to be critical. Right? Here's a parenting tip I learned. This is a bonus in the sermon. Parenting tip I learned was, if you tell your kids something's in the Bible, make sure it's in the Bible. Because, because, they're going to grow up one day and they're going to be able to read the Bible, study the Bible. And if they get old enough and realize mommy and daddy harped on this principle and said it was in the Bible, but it was never in the Bible, then they're going to ask this question as an adult. What else did mommy and daddy lie to me about? So I've heard this sermon preached that, that Jerusalem's our city, Judea's our state, uh, Samaria's our country, and the uttermost is international missions. And logistically, that's fine. No worries, no problem. But Jesus said both. He, he said, what you do in Jerusalem, you should do in uh, Judea at the same time. What you do in Judea, you should do in Samaria at the same time. What you do in Samaria, you should do international missions at the same time. He said, your burden, your conviction for Orange Park should be as great as your burden for Afghanistan, Iraq, and China. 
Because God is a global God. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And He said, I want you to do this at the same time. There, there's only one church that's ever been started. In the JBA, you know, we help church planters, and sometimes we, we use that verbiage, planting churches, starting churches. But here's the truth. Only one man has ever started one church, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. He's the owner of the church. So we do it His way. We may open a franchise of the church in a different part of the country, but there's only one owner. You see, if I wanted a franchise, own a franchise of McDonald's, and I, I thought, you know what, bean burritos are pretty fantastic, and they are, and I wanted to sell bean burritos at McDonald's, I couldn't because there's only one owner. I'm just a manager. I'm just a steward. And Jesus said, I want you to take this gospel all over the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, both even connection at the same time. You say, Drace, I don't, I don't know that I'm with you there. I think you're making up Greek words. But we'll think about this. Acts chapter 2, next chapter, is 10 days later. The Holy Spirit comes, and these men of Galilee, who are uneducated fishermen, start speaking languages of other countries. The people around say, hey, how do these guys know so many languages? They're not even smart. The Holy Spirit came just 10 days later, not 10 months later, not 10 years later, 10 days later, and equipped them to speak languages of the world. Why? So they could take the gospel all over the world. It's the burden, the conviction of the church. Number two, and I'll press forward. Not only Jesus' words, but secondly, Jesus' works. Look what he tells them in verse 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've learned from me. What's the promise? Verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I've been in Baptist churches almost my whole life. And I've noticed in Baptist churches, there's usually two crowds as it relates to the Holy Spirit. One crowd... Uh, Holy Spirit makes people very uncomfortable, right? It, it, they would prefer the Trinity be Father, Son, and Holy Bible, not Holy Spirit. They feel a lot safer with the Holy Bible. There's another part of people in, in the Baptist church. It's our charismatic friends who kind of sneak in as Baptists or undercover charismatics, and they join the Baptist church because they like good doctrine. The charismatic friends, if they're not careful, they can elevate the Holy Spirit as, as more important than the Father and the Son, this is not the sermon on the Holy Spirit, but let me say this. Jesus made it very clear that He's given us the Holy Spirit to equip us to be witnesses. It's not about how, how, how natural you feel, how comfortable you feel sharing the gospel. It's not about how good you feel or persuasive you are. It's about surrendering your life to the Holy Spirit so that you can speak the good news of salvation to whoever whom you come across. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps you do that. I'm at, I'm at Oak Harbor Church out of Mayport. And I'm there full-time in the summer. And, and I, I've been racking my brain all summer on how to engage the community, share the good news around Mayport, Atlantic Beach, Neptune Beach, Jack's Beach, and let them know there's a church out there preaching the gospel. So I've done a little door-to-door. Door-to-doors, 
Listen, door-to-door is not as effective as it used to be because we live in a kind of crazy world. And plus, when I come to your door, I either look like a police officer or a terrorist. So <laughs> I usually get some mixed reactions there. But listen, door-to-door is better than no plan. So I was praying in my office. And I said, God, how can I engage the community? And I believe as the Lord, I always reserve the right to be wrong. I believe as the Lord put in my heart, pressed upon my heart, to, to start working for a certain company. I think we record this one, so I won't mention the name. Work for a certain company that, you know, helps people, uh, transportation, go from point A to point B. You pick them up in your car. They pay on their app. I started working for this God, I really feel the Lord pressed upon my heart to start working for this company. So here's what happened. All over Mayport, Neptune Beach, Atlantic Beach, Sex Beach. People looking for a ride, get my picture in my name, and come in my car. For five minutes or for 50 minutes, they're riding with me, and this company kind of introduced us. And in the back seat, I always ask the Holy Spirit, wherever we're going, would you, would you help me to, to speak the good news? A couple days ago, I picked up a guy from Kenya, Africa, just got here to the United States of America, picked him up on, on this company that I work for, and he was in my back seat, and, and, and he was kind of interested. He said, uh, tell me what you think about America. And I said, well, that's a pretty fascinating question. I said, here's what I think about America. Boom, boom, boom. And I gave my perspective. And he said, wow, I, 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 I've never heard that perspective before. I said, here's why uh, my perspective is a little different. I said, you ready? He said, yes, I'm ready. I said, my perspective is a little bit different because I'm actually from a city that's kind of out of this world. He said, uh, my friend, are you drinking? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not drinking. I don't drink. I don't drink when I drive. I said, yeah, I'm from a city that uh, has come, but is coming. He said, tell me more. I said, I'd love to. I said, it's called the kingdom of God. And this man named Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth when he came to earth 2,000 years ago, he ushered in the kingdom of God. And it has come, but it is coming. It's already here, but it's going to be here completely one day. And I'm a citizen because when I was 12 years old, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And Jesus changed my life. And he made me a citizen from, uh, I used to be just a citizen of America. Now I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I spend the next 15 minutes preaching Christ crucified and resurrected and whomsoever believeth shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know where that comes from? The Holy Spirit of God equipping me, making me bold to preach the good news. Number three. I'm done. Jesus' worth. Watch this. So fascinating. Verse 9. Now, when he's spoken these things, you know, for the fifth time, telling them to take the gospel around the world. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And these men said, men of Galilee, what are you looking at? The same Jesus who's taken from you is coming back in like manner. I think we've got really, I think in church today, we got some outstanding heaven gazers. But I think we're really struggling with the Great Commission. You see, I've been a part of this thing called church life long enough 
we somehow, if we're not careful, we come to church and we hear such great worship music and we sing and, and all that is great and worthy and we should. But we come to church and we sing and, and, and we're just gazing at heaven together. We're just worshiping at heaven. And sometimes, sometimes a church uh, down the city they're, they're, the scenery of he- gazing at heaven is a little bit better. they got cooler lights and uh, cooler pictures and cooler media and maybe a smoke machine. And, and so it makes gazing at heaven a little more appealing. So we leave one church and go to another church to, to, to better gaze at heaven. I think we become really good at gazing at heaven, but really bad at the Great Commission. Can I say this? And maybe I'm wrong, but maybe I'm not. I don't think there's a reward in the judgment seat of Christ for being a good worshiper. And I think worship should propel you to go share the wonderful Jesus that you're worshiping. Paxton, I think so much of pastoring is preparing people for the judgment seat of Christ. And, and, and I never want people who would sit under a ministry I'm part of, tell me, my, my preacher never told me that. I'll close with this. I have a picture. I never, I didn't show this to the 8 o'clock and the 9.15, so if you see him at lunch, make sure you rub it in a little bit. I have this picture I want to show. I think maybe illustrates where the church is at. It's a picture of a boy from Sudan, Africa. And Kevin Carter in March of 1993, he was a photographer. And Kevin Carter was driving and all of a sudden on the side of the road he sees this boy. So Kevin Carter stops his Jeep, takes out his tripod, whips out his camera, captures a picture of this boy who's crawling to a feeding station while a vulture is waiting for him to just perish so he can eat him. Kevin Carter snaps this very picture. Goes back to America. Several months later, Kevin Carter wins the Pulitzer Prize for capturing such a, such a magnificent picture. He goes across the stage. He gets this rousing ovation. He writes to his parents. He said, Mom, Dad, you should have heard the way they clapped for me. It was incredible. Well, when his name got out for winning the Pulitzer Prize for capturing this picture, people started writing him and saying, Hey, Kevin, what happened to the boy? What happened to the boy? What happened to the boy? It wasn't but six months later, Kevin Carter went to a cliff on a mountainside, attached a hose, the back of his truck exhaust, put it to the front window, and committed suicide. He left a suicide note and he said this, I'm very, very sorry. I did nothing for the boy. You see, he captured his moment. He identified a need, but he did nothing for the boy. I think God is asking more than just compassion that three billion people have never heard. I think God is asking for conviction that we give our life to the Great Commission. By the way, you know why heaven-gazing is not the mission on earth because when we die 
We're going to be with Him and we get to worship. And trust me, it's in a scenery that eyes have never seen and ears have never heard. But you'll never be able to be a witness in heaven. But you will worship forever. Let's bow our head for prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed, if you'd be so kind. I'm going to pray in just a moment. As we just reflect upon the Word of God, in an attitude of prayer, if you're here today, and you would just simply say, between me and you and the Lord, if you're here today and you would simply say, Pastor Drace, you know, I think I've never given my life to Jesus.